go ahead and jump in. Um, we're going to pray. Today's, uh, set, today's lesson is on the worship of the church, specifically liturgy. Um, what we're going to do is kind of walk through uh, kind of a biblical understanding of worship. We're not going to go too deep into the trenches because I want to give you this broad view of worship so that you can value this ground level of liturgy. Um, and, and it's going to be not so much uh, in terms of, of the, the practice itself or a um, uh, prescribed way of doing it, but we just want to focus in on some of the elements of liturgy uh, that the Bible talks about, and then we want to use that to inform how we think about worship here at Delray. All right? And so, once again, it's not going to go too deep into the trenches in terms of uh, this um, theological understanding of worship. We want to give, give a big view, and then we want to hit the ground really quickly, and then that's how we'll spend our time. If you have, ever, if you have any questions during it, uh, please feel free just to jump in. All right? Let's pray. Father God, you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of praise. Not because I say so, but simply because it's evident in uh, your creation. It's evident in your works. It's evident in uh, and even, even the storms that we see now, even in um, lives that we thought would never be saved or saved um, um, and, f and, and rescued from the pit of hell. It's evident in um, your kindness and your steadfast love. It's evident in the fact that you took time before creation, before time even began to set us apart for your glory. So all of it, all of it is a, a clear indication that you n not only uh, should be worshipped, but you deserve to be worshipped. You must be worshipped. You command worship. And so, Father, we desire to be a people that, that, that does that very thing, worship you. Um, we, we, desi we desire to be a distinct people who uh, make celebrating who you are a regular part of our life. But you've also called us together as a church, as a Delray Baptist church. You've called us together as a local representation of you, local uh, representation of the body of Christ. So will you teach us? how to understand how we are to worship you together, how, how we are to, in the next hour, we are going to come together in the main hall and we're going to make a joyful noise and we're going to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, would you inform our understanding of it so that it's more than just knowledge, but it is our heart's delight. It's something that we enjoy doing. Father, I pray that all of this happens by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, um, one of the things I thought would be cool to do is to uh, have this time just... Any time a conversation about worship is, comes into play, the danger of it is to actually end up doing the very thing that the worship is saying we shouldn't do. It becomes a very... Uh, uh, um, uh, cerebral or academic uh, 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 process or project um, that we can also all, um, all, uh, unintentionally remove the emotion from it. Um, or it's 
so far the other way where we're so filled with emotion that there is no uh, wisdom to direct how that, how that display of, of joy and emotion should be uh, directed or informed. And so I think at the center of that is the person that we're worshiping. When you see that God is very passionate about us not only understanding who he is, but also taking joy and delight in that. Matter of fact, he actually, in so many ways, commands us uh, in both our understanding of him and in our emotions and happiness about him. And so we want to see those two come together um, based, off of who, based off of God being the center of our worship. And I thought there would be no better way to do that than just to read a, a brief psalm together, and then we'll jump into today's lesson. Go ahead and turn to Psalms 18. Psalm 18 is long, so we're not going to, don't worry, we're not going to jump into all of it. But I thought it was a good place for us to start today. Psalm 18. Also, we didn't print front to back, so if you only have one sheet, you should have two. Psalm 18, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved by my enemies. The cords of death encompass me, the torrents of destruction assail me, the cords of Sheol entangle me, the snares of death confronted me in my distress. I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. The, the thick, I'm sorry, thick darkness was under his feet. He rolled on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness from him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out the arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. And for they were too mighty for me, they confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Amen. That's the God we worship. Uh, That's the God we serve. And that's the that's going to be that, that God is the center of today's conversation on worship 
of the church and liturgy. So the main point today is, since the church is redeemed to worship and gathers for the purpose of worship, we must order our gathering in such a way that purifies and amplifies worship. Uh, and that last part is key. We must order our gathering in such a way that purifies and amplifies our worship. And so I think a good place to start is with the title itself, because that title can be a little obscure. And so the title says, The Worship of the Church, Liturgy. So I think for us to begin, we must have a clear understanding of worship, have a clear understanding of the church, and then we'll talk more about liturgy itself. And so worship is just a celebration of God by God's people. Right? It's making a big deal about God. It's making much of God. It's centering our affections and our energy and our thoughts and our hearts and our, and our gifts around the holiness, around the majesty of God. It's glorifying God in all of his beauty and all of his value and all of his, uh, and all of, and, and all, everything that uh, amounts to him being who he is. And so when we talk about worship, that's what we're doing. We're celebrating God. We're making much of God, right? And then in, in the church itself, we talked about this last week. The church is, the, is essentially the, the, the people of God gathered together, right? And so we see that on a high end universally. The church is united in Christ universally. So the, the, the church from since the Old Testament all the way up until now, people who have by faith have proclaimed the name of Jesus are now the church universally, people who are in heaven, people who are on earth. And then the church locally. It's a local assembly of people gathered together. We don't have to go too much in detail because we, we saw that last week. And then the word liturgy is simply just means it's how we order that worship, how we think about that worship uh, and systematically, how we think of not just, um, not just what goes in it, but how it flows. That, that so we're going to be talking specifically about corporate worship um, uh, towards the end of this conversation. And I want us to understand, like, I want us to understand why we gather together on Sunday as a as a body, a local body, to corporately gather together to worship God, to make much of God. But we do understand that God is a God of order, and so for that reason, we believe that there is a uh, uh, there that God gives us systems and structures on how to order that worship. And so for some of you, that word liturgy might um, trigger some past experiences. It might have a, uh, um, it might for some of you who come from a Catholic background or some of you might come from an Episcopal background, um, those words might have, neg that word might have a negative effect or meaning to you. But I do wanna let you know that that, that, that word for us does not ha have to have a negative effect. It can simply just mean, or in this case, does mean how we order the way we worship on Sunday, our corporate worship. Any questions or thoughts about that? No? All right. So I'd love to hear from you. Uh, um, I w for good or bad, um, before, for those of you who uh, uh, grew up in the church or might have had a church experience uh, coming um, from another church, it's not so much just to, to, to um, belittle the church that you came from, but I would love to hear from 
where your experiences are and, and what your background is. So when you hear the word liturgy based off of your past experiences, what, what are some of the thoughts that come to mind for you or some of the experiences that come to mind for you? You wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing, right? No, not necessarily, but for me, it just, it just, I didn't even have to think about it. it wasn't, I wasn't engaging at that point. Uh, Anyone else? Yeah, I think the Kelton's point, I think it's, it's, it's like it can mean old or staleness or stiffness where it's kind of the same thing. You're just you know, going through the motions and not really, not really registering. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, guys. One of the one of the interesting things that you hear when you listen to all of our stories and backgrounds is, man, um, even we can find good things in it. We can find some bad things in it. Some of the typically the 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 good thing is that there is an element that exists that is incredibly biblical, very godly, very very connected to who we are in Christ. And then there's an element that's, that, that, that also oftentimes is missing. Um, and that element usually is, like we said, it's either 
So it's either highly emotional, uh, and 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 our, our our feelings are in it. It's 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 very expressive. It's dynamic, um, and then or, or or it's very cerebral, and and it's missing something. It's missing some heart behind it. It's it's dis, it's very connected to our minds, but totally disconnected from our hearts, or vice versa. It's just only connected to our hearts and just completely disconnected from our minds. And I believe that God is calling us, and the Bible tells us this, that God is calling us to worship him in both spirit and in truth. And so I think that when we walk through this, you're going to see that theme that keeps coming up over and over again, where there's a connection to both our heart and our, and our mind. So the first part I want to talk to you guys today is this aspect of worship. Worship refers to any thought, feeling, or action that gives glory and adoration and reverence to something or someone. Only the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, deserves to be worshipped. He alone is worthy to be praised. We saw that in Psalm 18.3. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is holy. The Lord is perfect in all his ways. The Lord is gracious and steadfast in his love. The triune God revealed through scripture, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, is worthy to be worshipped. And the reason why we first see that is because he is our creator. He is the creator. And all of creation uh, is, is, com- is commanded to worship him. The cosmos were created to worship him. Somebody go over to Psalms 19 real quick. Just flip over one page. Will somebody read those first six verses? So the universe was created to display the glory of the creator. It was, was displayed to show off how majestic and how glorious uh, God is. Um, and when, when David is talking to us, he's, he's, he's telling us that, uh, um, that God's glory fills the heavens. It fills the earth because it, it, it has, he created it. It's his creation. It's his artistic display of how big and how amazing, how majestic and how glorious he is. It describes God's stateliness, his, uh, um, his impressiveness. Uh, um, uh, cre- creation doesn't simply exist to provide us a home for us to enjoy it. The universe, the universe exists to show forth God's immeasurable, un- uh, unquantifiable, undescribable, undescribable, and awesome characteristics. Uh, the celestial realm's great expanse magnifies God's enormity and reminds us that God is worthy of worship, right? So that's, that's what we do. So when we, when we, when we step out into the, to the world and we just um, we, we look at the universe, so not, sometimes not even have to look at the universe. We just look at our own ecosystem and how it all works together. It all, it all feeds off of itself because God is trying to communicate something to us. He's trying to talk to us. 
And he's doing it through his creation because he's, the creation is literally displaying the glory of God. But there's a problem. Uh, sin is a departure from true worship. Somebody go over to Romans chapter 1. And so because of, the, because of what took place in the garden, because of the fall of man, because of the direct rebellion of, of man towards God, uh, we can no longer worship God the way he was intended to. Um, can somebody read? Um, somebody read the verses that I have on your um, outline. Yeah, and so our fallen nature keeps us from being able to see God and savor his majestic, savor God as our majestic, sovereign uh, creator. Uh, it keeps us from being able to, to have awe. It keeps us. It blinds us. It numbs us. And it redirects our worship uh, to created things, specifically ourselves. Um, it, 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 it literally blinds us. And so when we walk out, we can no longer see the... Uh, in our fallen state, we can no longer uh, fully see and fully appreciate uh, the glory that is on display in front of us. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, um, you, can, you, can, you can literally, uh, I, I, when I go, I love, one of my favorite things to do is I love going to places where uh, I can look at uh, the universe through big, powerful telescopes. Or I, I love, the, I love uh, sci like science in, in a sense, not where I completely understand it, but I love to watch it because it, it's showing God's glory and God's beauty. I love museums and I love going downtown and it, it amazes me each time when I'm in that environment, when I'm seeing something for the first time that God is created and designed to show off his glory, I'm looking at everybody else. I'm like, yo, did you see what, that, what just happened? Right. Or even even me, like I'm learning about bees. I'm learning how God created bees. And if uh, and my daughters are teaching me this about how, like, if for whatever reason, if God would just remove all the bees from the planet, things would go really bad. God is showing us this. But when, when I'm looking around at people and I'm like, man, did you see that? And I realize, like, yeah, it's cool. When the fact that you can zoom into the universe so far that you just become a speck on a black screen. And you get kind of excited about it, but it doesn't lead us to worship. And so that's what creation was designed to do. It was designed to display God's glory. It was designed to move us to awe of this great creator. But because of sin, 
we're not able to do that because of our fallen nature. We are unable to fully be uh, amazed by the wonders of a big, beautiful, amazing God. But see, salvation is a restoration to true worship. Uh, somebody go over to uh, John 4, 23 through 24. Uh, 23 to 24. is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit gives us new hearts to worship uh, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ delivered through the power of the gospel. True worship is what happens. True worship is in spirit and in truth. The truth is plain enough and with the coming of Jesus, the hour is coming, the hour is now here. So that truth is now is Jesus. That truth is the reality of who Jesus is and uh, what Jesus has accomplished. And so because of that truth, God has now made worship of him possible again. True worship possible again for us as a local, uh, as a, as a, as a local body of believers. We can now worship a God because of who Jesus is. He is the truth. Right? Go, somebody go over to... Uh, John fourteen six. And then somebody else take Colossians uh, one five. Yeah, and then and then John and then Colossians one five. Say it right there one more time. It's real quick. <laughs> yeah, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Right. So that, so that, that word, that truth is Jesus, but that truth is also the word. It is also the gospel. It is also the thing that, uh, that, that message of salvation, that message of redemption. And so because of, we, 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 because of the fallenness of man, um, well, one, God deserves to be worshipped as creator, but the fallenness of man makes that not possible um, the way God intended it. But because of Jesus, his work, I mean, who Jesus is, he is fully God, fully man. He is the truth. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is the only uh, person who can exist on earth perfectly in obedience to the Father. But, he also, but it's also his work. 
Um, that truth is also the fact that uh, Jesus lived and died and resurrected uh, so that we can have uh, a right relationship with God, which is a relationship of worship, right? And so that, there's that truth part. Jesus is the truth. Um, he came fully God and fully man. The truth is also the fact that we can now have a relationship with God. We can worship him because of what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection and ascension and sending the Holy Spirit. But we can also uh, worship him in spirit. All right. Somebody go over to John 3, 6. Now go over to Ephesians 1.13. Yeah. So because of the work, because of who Jesus is, because of his work, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us as a way to awaken our faith, to awaken our awareness of our sinful nature, to awaken our need for Christ, but also to begin to work in us uh, uh, um, the, the understanding and value for who God is. So the only way uh, uh, Romans 1, uh, uh, that we, the part in Romans 1 where we read, where we traded um, the glory of God for the created versus the creator, and the only way we can, that, that can be reversed is first Jesus comes, he does the work, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit so that that work can be a reality in us. Right? So now because of Jesus and the work and this Holy Spirit being sealed up, we can now function as true worshipers. Now we can worship Jesus uh, in, in, in spirit and in truth. And so we not only have the ability to understand and grasp uh, the work that, and who Jesus is and the work that took place on our behalf, but we also have been empowered to actually worship him in a way that God desires. And this can be confusing to a lot of people because people then take this as a way to say God is, God is looking for actions first. God is looking for us to, whether it's might come from backgrounds where God is saying, uh, where people might say, you need to speak in tongues in order to be true worshipers. Or you need to raise your hand. Or you need to uh, shout. Or you need to do all these things. And, and see, man, I'm not necessarily saying all of those things are evil or bad. I think they're good. But they come out of a heart. They come out of a disposition that only the, the true worshipers, those who worship in truth, and in spirit are able to accomplish in a, way that, in a way that God is pleased, in a way that it's a sweet aroma to, uh, to God, right? And so throughout the Bible, we've seen evidences of what happens when uh, um, God's people try to worship him incorrectly, right? They try to, they try to do things, and it just it goes bad. 
Can anybody think of, uh, of one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. Yep. Any other ones? Saul. Saul? Yeah. What happened with Saul? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you remember why? It was just patience. Just wanted to do it his way. Yeah. Yeah. Any others? Say again? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was Moses' guy. He said, I'm not doing this without Aaron. And first thing Aaron is in charge, the first thing he does is makes a golden calf. And these are all, these are all ideas and functions. These are um, whether, whether um, yeah, these are all functions where people are trying to do things without the right heart, without the right disposition. Our disposition of our heart will inform our actions. But here's the problem. Like we said in part B, we're falling and we need Jesus and we need the Holy Spirit. And we can't worship him correctly without the Father sending the Son, fully God and fully man, the Son living, dying, resurrecting and sending, and then the Holy Spirit uh, sealing us up, uh, sealed up in us, to awaken us to the reality of our depravity and the beauty of Jesus and, and the, giving us the faith to respond with repentance, uh, conf confession and repentance. Right. Any other, any questions about that before we move on? Any thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, but we have to also remember that our hearts are deceitful, wicked of all things, and yeah. trustworthy. And really, it's been helpful for me is in sort of reconciling all that stuff is to think about how how much God has sacrificed for His people, how much He has sacrificed for us. Yeah. And He has so much to say about our lives and how we should live. And sometimes we think, but He doesn't have anything to say about the church or yeah. how we worship together. Absolutely, I agree. And the the and the beauty of that is the fact that, the, like you said, because of because of the the state that we find ourselves in before Christ, we can't do that um, without um, circumcision of the heart. And so, although even after that work of redemption and salvation takes place, God is continuously sanctifying us. There has to be that initial work, like you said, like you said, that takes place that allows us to be able to even be able to want to submit our heart and want to find value in those things. Yeah. Thank you.
Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts? All right. Cool. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. There's a part there that says the the church was uh, created to worship. I think we'll get a sense of that uh, when we skip over to liturgy. Um, and if I'm if I'm wrong, we can jump back. But I think I, I don't want to just for the sake of time. Don't want to be um, too too redundant. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into liturgy. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yep. So God has God has given us uh, through the sending of Jesus by the Father, through the work in the life work of Jesus, and, and then the and then the work of the Holy Spirit. We can now worship uh, Him in spirit and truth. Uh, but we also have uh, the local church, uh, this the the local assembly of God's people gathered together. Um, and there, there is a sense where that church has been called to worship him, um, has been called to a specific gathering of God's people together to worship him together. And I believe that God has given us clear insight on how that worship should take place. And for us, we use the word liturgy. Um, uh, it simply describes the public way a church honors God in its times and gathered praise, prayer, instruction, and commitment. All churches gather together to have a liturgy, even if it's a very simple liturgy. And so it's just basic instruction for how our worship gathering is, uh, is structured so that uh, it, it, it is informing us on how to worship. I'm, I'm sorry. It's informing us in the way in which we will worship God. And so it can be from some people who have an Anglican or Episcopal background, and it could be a very high church uh, uh, model or system. Or if you come from uh, other denominations, it can be a very simple model where we'll, we'll just sing, pray, uh, and preach. Uh, and that's it. Um, most times you can determine how uh, simple or complex a person's liturgy is based on how long the service is. <laughs> right? And so we have, have friends that brag about how quickly they get out of church or, um, how, or, or excited about how long uh, the, the, the gathering is um, because of all of these elements that are being introduced into it. All of them are trying to teach us something about God. It is trying to teach us uh, who God is and who to worship, whether intentionally or unintentionally. When somebody comes into Delray, whether we intentionally do it or not, they're, going, they're learning about what we think about God through our worship. They're learning what we believe about God. They're learning about what we think is true and not. And that's whether we do that intentionally or not. And that could, that's at any church. So I can walk into any church in the world and I can sit in their service and I, can, I, am, I am being taught about what they think about God. And so that's why this is so important. Because uh, not only simply because God has commanded us to worship, not only because God is a God of order and we want to have uh, a, a clear communication about uh, 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 how we worship, 
but we also are telling the people that are that are coming into our fold who are visitors and who are unbelievers what we think about God right and so I, that's one that's the reason why I think this is important liturgy refers to the order of service when the church gathers the elements included in corporate worship as well as the arrangements of those elements if the Lord seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth then our gathering needs to help people be those kinds of worshipers. This means that the word of God should determine the elements of corporate worship. Whether one intends it or not, our worship patterns always communicate something, um, even if one simply goes along with what is either historically accepted or currently preferred. An understanding of the gospel inevitably unfolds. Right. So I think before we get into... Um, before we get into what, sh- so one of the things that we're not going to do is we're not going to get into um, how that order is expressed. So I want to do two things now. I want to talk about what makes that liturgy distinctively Christian in the sense that what separates us from, from non-Christian churches, meaning the, the, the type of worship you get here, you can't, you won't, you should not find in a Catholic, um, in a Jehovah's Witness church or a Catholic church or a Muslim uh, uh, um, um, mosque. Yeah, I was about to say mosque. I had to get it out. Um, so I want to talk about what makes it distinctively Christian. Then I want to talk about specifically what the Bible says that should be included in it. And then we can, we can, We'll talk a little bit about culture and expressions of that, but I solely want just the Bible to inform how we think about liturgy. And then uh, as a church, and, as I, and through, through the guidance of our leadership of our elders, they can prescribe how that is expressed. But I just simply just want to dig into the word, look at how it's distinctively Christian and what the Bible says should be involved in it. All right? Um, so first, uh, the people of God. Um, um, this goes back to um, this goes back to the idea of the church. The corporate worship can only be offered uh, to God by those who have an explicit relationship with God, evidenced by the Spirit's presence. Consequently, both the Old and New Testaments agree that God only accepts worship offered by a humble a committed servant under his covenant, a covenant that is qualified by the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and in our worship. So corporate worship can only be offered to God by those who have an explicit relationship with him. Somebody go ahead and uh, uh, read. Somebody take Matthew 4, 8 through 10, and then somebody take Mark 12, 30. Now, somebody take Mark 12, 30. I'm sorry, keep on going. Okay. So, uh, an ex- 
So the idea of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, the only, it's, 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 that is, in a sense, an act of worship. It is um, making much of the God who has, uh, who, has, who has saved us, who has called us uh, f- from darkness into light, who has regenerated us and has made us uh, his worshipers, his people, his gathered people. And so throughout all of scripture, this is what God has been doing. He's been gathering a people um, by his name. And he says over and over again, especially in uh, Genesis 12, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then all throughout, he gives them instructions, his people, instructions on how to worship him. And then he goes on in the New Testament where Jesus finally comes. He is the, he is the final uh, uh, a satisfying sacrifice. He is, he is, he is the, the means in which redemption takes place, that it is possible. Because of that, we can now love him. We can now adore him. We can now make much of him with our whole being. That is not possible unless we are his people. So God is, uh, so worship is distinctively Christian when God's people are doing it, right? So, I'm sorry, corporate worship, the worship of the gathering of a church is distinctively Christian with God's people. So what I mean by that is, I don't believe you can have a corporate worship gathering without God's people. So when I say it's distinctively Christian, if you were to take this out of it, it would not be Christian, right? And so God has commanded his church, and he has created his church, we see at the end of Ephesians 1, to worship him, to make much of him. He is, he is doing all of this work, all of that work that you see in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. He's gathering a people by his name as one body to gather together to worship him. Until that work takes place in Ephesians 1 and 2, we cannot love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We cannot worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Second one, uh, I believe that in order for our worship to be uh, uh, distinctively Christian, I believe it has to be uh, Christ-centered, right? Um, yeah. Somebody go, somebody, yeah. I'm a, before I go into scripture, I, want, I do want to say this. Um, saying something is Christ-centered does not devoid it of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, right? Actually, I think... Uh, saying something is Christ-centered when we're focusing on the redemptive work of Christ, when we're uh, making much of what, who Christ is and what he does, actually uh, emphasizes and highlights both uh, the, the two other persons of the Trinity, the Father who sent the Son, and then the Holy Spirit who seals us up in Christ, who unites us with Christ. Um, somebody go over to uh, John 14.9. Uh, uh, Somebody read second. Somebody grab Second Corinthians four six, and then John sixteen fourteen through fifteen. John fourteen nine. And so um, when we put Christ at the center of our worship, we are putting the Father at the center of our worship, right? 
Jesus and the Father are one. That was, a, that was a reason why he was making so many people mad is because he was making this cl- claim. And so when we, when we take Christ out of our worship, when Christ is no longer the center of our worship, um, we, now, not only, we not only remove Christ, we also remove the Father. Right? And so that's why I say it's, it has to be Christ-centered. And if you take that out, it no longer becomes Christian. It's no, longer, our, our, it's no longer based around the fact that because we're able to wor- worship him is because of the redemptive work of Christ. We are, we are worshiping in response to what Christ did. And so if you take Christ out, what is it? Is it, it and we've all experienced this, where worship now becomes something totally different. Worship becomes about us. And our problems and our issues and our needs and our wants. And um, you can end up in an environment where now there's like a bunch of people saying, you need, if, if you, you, just don't give up. Don't quit. You can be a better you. And you can do this and you can do that. And you can have this and you can have that. And it's all yours if you just take it, reap it and sow it and name it and claim it. It's all about you. When you remove Christ from the picture, and then you end up back with a Romans 1. Right? Somebody read the next verse. Yeah. And so when we worship, right, we are, we are worshiping the God who has filled the glory, filled the earth with his glory in his creation, but because of the fall, we can no longer do that. Jesus now makes that possible. Jesus now, as our high priest, now allows us to enter into a relationship, to come face to face with the living God, to be able to make much of him, to celebrate him, to celebrate him in all of his glory. And when you take Christ out of it, you take the glory of God out of it, and when you take the glory of God out of it, it's no longer Christian, right? And then that last verse, Um, John 16, 14 through 15. Yeah. Worship is designed to foster appreciation for his love. Worship, I'm sorry, worship that, that, that is designed to foster appreciation for, for his love will reflect the message that all heaven gave to him to provide and that he gave, uh, that he gave his all to share. That's definitely bad grammar. So listen, <laughs> um, 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 through, the, through the, Jesus, our redemptive Savior, uh, sent by the Father, sealed by the Spirit, when our worship is not centered on Christ, it is no longer distinctively, it is no longer distinctively Christian, right? Has anybody ever experienced worship without Christ? A worship service. Sorry, I keep saying worship. A corporate worship gathering without Christ? Yeah, what was that like for you? Yeah. And so that's why we want to look at this first before we look at the things that God has called us to do. Because exactly what you said, you can pray. You might even, unfortunately, be able to read scripture, even scripture about Christ, and interpret it wrongly, make it about you. You can give, 
You can, do, you can baptize unbelievers. You can do all these things and it still not be distinctively Christian. And so that's why it's important for us to look at these things and say, okay, when you take Christ out of it, it is no matter if you're praying, you're singing, you're preaching, all these things that we say are marks of a corporate worship gathering, all these things that are happening, you can check them off the list. But like, like many of us have experienced, they're, 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 because Christ is taken out, um, it is no longer what God intended, and God is no longer pleased by it. And we see throughout all of Scripture when, what happens when we worship God incorrectly. And then uh, the second, the third one, um, I think I just said biblical, and my, pa- my paper it says Christ-centered, um, uh, but I think I just wrote the word biblical. Um, I, think, I think that is, um, and can, can almost, in our minds, we say no, of course, um, just because of our experiences, um, but many of our Many of our worship times are, uh, corporate gatherings are oftentimes spent without ever reading the word. I've seen sermons that happen without even ever opening scripture. And if it is, it's kind of just more of a, 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 a just, just a, 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 it's not the centerpiece, it's not the main course, it's just the appetizer to, to the preacher. The preacher himself is the main appetizer and then uh, is, the, is the main course. But, in, but for us, to, for, for a worship, corporate worship gathering, the word of God has to be the main course. It has, because it, it informs us how to worship. It is the very mind of Christ. It is God-breathed. It is the thing that gives us a clarity onto what is, uh, what is okay, what is not okay. What pleases God, what doesn't please God, right? And so that's, that's, that's the thing that we bring into our corporate worship as to inform how we worship God. And so every time you see throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, whenever people gathered together to worship, it was always uh, around the word of God. It was always with the reading of scripture, right? right. So, okay. How much time do I got? Two minutes? Dang, um, biblical, uh, biblically rooted, uh, a final authority. Um, was there one more there? Yep. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Um, this is, once again, it's the Holy Spirit that seals us up. It's the Holy Spirit that uh, convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit that uh, purifies us. Uh, and makes our, keeps our worship with integrity is the best way I can put it. Um, and then finally, um, then we look at those. I'm glad I got to this part. Uh, don't worry. Uh, the main part is what makes it distinctively Christian. Um, but uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just stop there. I won't try to force it. Gather, read, pray, sing, preach, celebrate, send. Uh, with blessing and mission. Uh, most people will call that a benediction if you're Baptist. Um, but yeah. Um, any questions? We got one minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
and, I, and I, most people will say, preach the word, sing the word, uh, hear the word. Uh, I intentionally didn't do that here because uh, I think you can, it can, I think part of, especially with preaching, we want to we want to preach the word, but we also want to preach the gospel. It's not saying one is different from the other. Uh, they're all different um, examples of how to do this that I think are perfectly fine. Um, but the, if those distinctives are missing, then they, they miss the mark completely. And then as you think about those expressions of how to do that, I think you can't go wrong if because all of this is doing is we're glorifying God um, uh, and um, glorifying God um, and, um, and, and, and for the good of his people. I think if we think about it that way, we won't go wrong with culture and expressions and styles. Um, when we make it Christ-centered, gospel-centered, for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Yeah, and so when you so a lot of Christians sometimes get mad at other Christians for calling out other people and quote unquote why are you judging them and uh, but but look at all the good that they do and that's that's the, the, the problem isn't the, all those things that they do the problem is they're 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 identifying themselves as the people of God but they're not demonstrating it by the distinctives that God gives us that makes us distinctively His. It's not led by the Spirit. It's not. It's not Christ-centered. It's not rooted in Scripture. It's not the people of God. Anybody can come in and do it. Um, anybody can take communion. Anybody can be baptized. Right? And so that's the reason why we make a big deal when we see other people proclaiming to be Christians not functioning as Christians because they're giving a false witness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, so much to say. Um, Father God, forgive me for being long-winded. Um, I pray that even in the, brevet, the brevity of the, the last five minutes, it will, it will not disrupt the work that you're doing right now, um, that your people will be convicted and, and it will carry over into the corporate worship gathering where they can see you and they can be in awe of you and they can be drawn to you. They can encounter you in an authentic, real, meaningful way that leads them to sing and, and, and respond with giving and celebration and that allows them to be able to hear the word and that Garrett can preach the, the word and the gospel boldly um, and that he can do it knowing that it's not contingent on his his, his, his ability to do it uh, 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 with some razzle-dazzle, but it's simply based off of the fact that you are God and God alone. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.